our guest, the man I was sitting next to yesterday at Allegiant Stadium, Arash Mukazi from the uh, Sporting Tribune, who covers all things here, Vegas and L.A. My man, how you doing, Arash? I'm good. Long time no see. Good to catch up. <laughs> it was, man. It was. Uh, appreciate uh, chopping it up with you yesterday. And it was like you and I were doing our own show yesterday, wasn't it? I mean, we're going like, okay, what are we? What are we looking at here? What What is going on here? Just crazy, insane. And uh, I want to get your take because because I left you during that, that during that that final stretch. Uh, to beat traffic and uh, wow, I mean, unbelievable ending here. And I know you were at the press conference and you heard what Josh McDaniels had to say yeah. about not going uh, for it. And here's the, the big thing, uh, Arash, that a lot of people aren't talking about. He didn't need a touchdown, okay, on that fourth and three and a half or fourth and four because you could gain another first down by getting. To the four-yard line. They were at the eight. It's not like you needed eight yards. It's not like you had yeah. to have the touchdown. You had all your timeouts. You had plenty of time. But field goal is never in the equation here. No one has ever done that before. And he did it not once but twice because he did it earlier. And they got bailed yeah. out by the penalty. I Just tell me tell me your thoughts and what you heard from Joshua Daniels. We played it back last hour from his response. But I want to know what that was like in the post-game press conference. No, listen, I mean, I think, I think it was just a confusion from everybody, you know, because I, I think a lot of coaches sometimes, uh, believe too blindly, um, into their our ch- charts and the numbers and what is the number, you know, if, if you have this much time left, you have this many timeouts left, what do you do? I mean, sometimes you go off of gut TC. And I think when you looked at that game, there was no logical person who had been watching that game who said they, they should not go for it. Again, like you said, it wasn't that they needed a touchdown. Uh, but certainly the other thing is when you're playing a game where you've been at times shredded defensively, and it is a, you know, a technically a one possession game, touchdown and two point conversion, about two minutes left. You go for it. And again, it, it like, I don't know what chart that you're looking at that would tell you to kick that field goal. But to your point, they didn't need a touchdown there. It would have been nice to have it, but like to, to have that safety valve of you can get a first down without getting a touchdown. But regardless, you're still going to kick a field goal and kick it off to them it made no sense and so you know Josh McDaniels is from the you know the Bill Belichick school of press conferences where he says a lot but doesn't really explain himself so there was nothing that he could say though that 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 would make that decision make sense and I can't believe that you wouldn't have other people around you not that he's listened to other people but would say Hey, this this doesn't make sense. You know, we always talk about mm-hmm. the chart. You know, they what they have the chart like when to go for two yeah. and everything. It's like th- this is so obvious that I don't know how y- you can defend this call in any way, shape, or form. There's not because even if you don't get it, all right, you're pinning the Steelers back and you have four timeouts. I mean, so Pittsburgh gets the ball at the five or the six, and then you're going to be in better shape than kicking a field goal and letting Pittsburgh have the whole field to operate. And then now you still need that touchdown. It's crazy. It is beyond comprehension. You know, so you, you're talking about the, the chart, and I don't even know if there is a chart that you would suggest to <laughs> kick that field goal. But you look at what the pros and cons would be. Okay, so the, so the pro 
is one, you get the first down. Pro uh, two is you get the touchdown. The negative to your point, and this is why you have to go for it, worst case scenario is you don't get it and you pin them back. So they get the ball first down back at their four yard line. Uh, and then, and then again, you, you, you can go and say, Hey, listen, we got three timeouts, 220 left. Okay. And then you can get the ball back. It, the fact that it was still a one possession game, again, technically, if you go touchdown, two point, like the fact that you're thinking, let's just kick, kick a field goal. We're going to get the ball back in position to then, then at that point, get a touchdown. It's, it's absurd. It made no sense. And that's the thing. He just kept saying, well, you know, we, we needed that second possession anyway. You only need that second possession if you don't get the touchdown. I mean, you rather you get the, the touchdown two. and you don't get the two-point conversion. And then, okay, now all he needs is a field goal there. And we know that Carlson is good from, you know, probably 55 or maybe 60 on in. And then, but what's perplexing also, remember, Arash, there was 13-22 left in the game. And they're at the 22-yard line, and it's fourth and five. He passed up a field goal at that time, and that could have made it 23-10. to 10. So, again, there's so many coaching blunders from him in this game. But you go back to there, 90% of the coaches, maybe 95% of the coaches, are kicking a field goal with 13-22 to go in the game. It's 23-7. to seven. It's fourth and five, and you got a gimme by Carlson right there. Okay, get points because you still have maybe two or three possessions left in the game. Yeah, I mean, just across the board, a terrible coaching job. And you're talking about a guy who, again, we generally know, unless you're the Denver Broncos or whatever, or like Jacksonville with Thurban Meyer, you're not going to be on the hot seat after year one. But look, you cannot have coaching blunders like this continue. And again, it's not, not that matters when it happens, but a Sunday night football game on national TV where, where like everyone's watching and this continues to happen. He's, he should be on the hot seat at that point because listen, we, you know, look, look at his track record. I mean, he's besides being Bill Belichick's assistant and Tom Brady's, you know, quarterback coach and offensive coordinator, he's never done anything on his own. So at some point in time, if this continues, you cannot once again, you know, have a season where you win six games and coaching is the reason why you didn't win three or four more. That's the problem. And the biggest thing, TC, beyond that, listen, I mean, so many, when your star player, when Devontae Adams is disgruntled week three, that's a huge problem. Absolutely. Josh McDaniels has lost 22 of his last 32 games as a head coach. That says it all. And again, you, you have to have a certain acumen, a moxie to be a head coach in this league. And we've had enough now to see with, you know, a couple seasons with him at the helm here. And of course, you have to factor in what he did in Denver as well, because that's part of your coaching resume. And yep. when you have players, and I think you hit the nail on the head with, with Devontae, and this was what I was afraid of when he got here. Okay. He's like, he's coming to a rebuild and he w- did it for Derek Carr. Part of it, why he left Green Bay too was okay, you know, the Aaron Rodgers thing. And he knew Aaron wasn't going to be there for very much. And he kind of said, you know, I want to get back to the West Coast. I love Derek. Let's give this a shot. You know, it seems like on the outside looking in, which he was at that time being in Green Bay, like this sounds like a pretty good situation. You know, darn well 
after now going into year two, he's looking at this like saying, oh my God, this is my worst nightmare. This is not what I thought it was going to be. Oh, and my guy is no longer here being the quarterback. One of the main reasons I came here and I had no idea what this head coach is going to be, but heck, this is not very good. And he's losing his cool. He's calling out teammates. Basically, he's calling out the organization. And we knew that this was probably going to happen because we saw shades of it last year. But now this is full-blown. It just seems like he he wants out. And I can't blame him. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's very simplistic. But it's not fun. It's not fun to lose. It's not fun to have home games where the opposing fans take over. It's not fun playing for a coach who, and again, he has not said this, but let's see how the season plays out. But if you don't trust the process, if you don't trust the head coach who's in front of you saying, believe me, believe in what we're doing, if you don't believe that, that's a big problem. And again, listen, he came here for the quarterback. At the end of the day, if you're a wide receiver, regardless if it's a rebuild, and I know that that's what the thought was, but if you're coming in and you're like, listen, I've played with this guy before. I know Derek Hart since college. He's my best friend. We're going to make this work. Obviously, that same trust is not there with Jimmy Garoppolo. We knew that. We knew all the criticism and critiques about Jimmy Garoppolo. We knew that that's why San Francisco was willing to move on. When Jimmy G was leading them to the conference championship, to the Super Bowl, they were looking for his replacement. They traded three first-round picks for his replacement in Trey Lance. They, he, he was replaced by the last pick, the absolute last pick in the draft a year ago. So, you know, Jimmy G is who he is. And the fact of the matter is Devontae Adams, probably at this point, not only does not believe in his head coach, he does not believe in his quarterback, and that's a bad spot for him to be in right now. All right, here is Devontae Adams and what we're talking about after last night's game. I don't act like it's all crazy. It's, you know, it's week three, but I don't got time to wait around. You know, I mean, it's not a personal thing. I mean, it is a personal thing, but it ain't just about me. But, I mean, it's not my mentality to sit here and try to take all season to figure it out. You use these early games like this to establish our identity, and we, uh, we're not doing things the right way to, to establish a winning culture um, early in the season, so we got to do something to, to turn that around. Doing something about it so that when we go out there the next time, it looks different. It's not supposed to just be a week of just talking about shit. We got to go out there and do it. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the theme of this year is doing it, not just talking about it and figuring out what we need to do. We did all that last year. This year we got to be about it. There's Devontae Adams uh, again. Uh, a little somber in that locker room uh, afterwards, uh, Arash. And uh, again, just not happy. He's just, he's, he's tired, I think, of, uh, of what he's seeing, especially offensively. And let's give Devontae credit. And I don't, I don't blame him for being upset because he has carried this team on his back. He's been the only one. And yesterday that was evident. 20 catches, 172 yards, two touchdowns yesterday. Devontae Adams and nobody else. Yeah. I mean, you can't have that happen. You cannot have that happen. And again, I think the reason why Devontae was willing to come to what was perceived as the rebuild was the quarterback. And I, I, I don't like if this continues, this is not a rebuild he wants to be a part of because if you don't, the only way a rebuild works with current players, especially a superstar player, by the way, superstar players are generally not part of a rebuild because you can flip them for picks and stuff like that. But if he does not believe in this group, quarterback, head coach, you go down the line, 
he's going to be. I mean, the fact that he's having that kind of a post game press conference and that and what he was doing on the sidelines in week three is very telling. And you have players like that in the locker room; it permeates. And so, I mean, it's, it's just a bad deal. Where again, we're only three games in, but I think he sees like. This isn't going to sort itself out. We can't say it's only week three. We got to figure this out now. Arash Bukhazi joins us, Sporting Tribune, and talking about uh, last night's Raiders Steelers game. TC Martin, Marco D'Angelo in the house here uh, with us on this Monday. Not only do you call, cover the Raiders, but you cover all LA. <laughs> and there was another coach that made a very questionable call yesterday. He managed to avoid it, but. Staley, what is he doing? Again, fourth and one in his own 24-yard line, two-something left in the game. He goes for it on the road and gets stopped and almost loses the game. Yeah, Arash, you've seen that many, many times. Please explain this clown, please. It makes no sense. And by the way, we, we talked to Brandon Staley about this before this this uh, before the start of the season, you know, because that that was really his calling card in his first year coaching. He took a step back from that last year, uh, and he said, "No, listen, I'm going to be aggressive." And if I he he says it's a gut thing, but I'm like, I, I sometimes whether it's the chart or not, that that, that makes zero sense. Like like even if it's fourth and a foot. I mean, it doesn't matter. You're back at your 21 yard line. You don't need to do stuff like that. So, um, you know, that, that's a coach who's certainly on the hot seat when you look at, uh, where they're at. I mean, crazy to say a must win game in week three, but you follow that Jacksonville loss in the postseason where they blew a 27 to zero lead to first two games of the season, blowing fourth quarter leads. He could not do that again. So they found a way to win, but then they lose today when they get the news that Mike Williams is done for the season. So, He's in a tough spot. Raiders travel to L.A. to take on the Chargers and what is a must-win game really for both teams. And again, the Chargers coming off a little bit of a high, kind of finally getting that, that W. But now, I mean, the Raiders with backs against the wall and we know that the Raiders are going to figure, okay, well, we're going to the Chargers, a team that uh, we feel that we can beat. Oh, plus, we'll have the home field advantage this time. Yeah. That's, that's what they're thinking, right? And uh, I know you're going to be there, my man. And again, you cover the Chargers and both the Rams, but give us a little preview of what you think is going to happen next Sunday with the Raiders and the Chargers. You, you bring up a great point where, like, listen, yes, it's week four, but another sort of like a must-win game because, I mean, these are winnable games. They both think that going into this game. Um for the Chargers, yeah, I mean, listen, they, they, they had two leads in the fourth quarter that, that, that they blew in the first two games of the season. Uh, I do think that, um, those were games that they, that they put on themselves and they found a way to win week three. With the Raiders, it's a little bit different. They, the big thing that they have going for them is yes, this will be one of the few games that they have, uh, like home field advantage on the road, which is fantastic. Los Angeles is still a Raider town perhaps the most popular team in town. And the biggest thing, and we talked about this when we were sitting together last night, a more affordable ticket. I mean, you know, the, the cheapest ticket is like a buck fifty or the, not a dollar fifty, a hundred and fifty dollars. So, you know, yes, not cheap, cheap, but not five hundred dollars. So be a ton of silver and black. I do think that the Chargers on paper, yes, they lose Mike Williams. But when I just look at this team on paper, they should find a way to win. I mean, here, the only thing that I can probably promise you is that the Chargers will have the lead in the fourth quarter. The big question is, will Brandon 
Staley get like out of his way, not do anything crazy to allow them to win. This team consistently is is playing exciting games, but they find ways to lose. Marco, I don't know if you factor this in, but I do. When you're contemplating on betting on the Chargers or against the Chargers, do you factor in the Staley? It's in the back of your mind because I've been burnt so many times by him making wrong decisions. And there was a couple times last year, and I remember, I think it was the Cincinnati game, where his blunder benefited me. I was on the other side when he he goes in opportune times. You have the chart, as everybody talks about, but there's game situation and there's where you're at on the field. And you're on the road. You give the road team an opportunity, they're going to be super loud on that fourth down play, trying to help the defense. And you, yeah, if he gets the first down, they win the game. They can run out the clock. But they had an opportunity to hand him the ball back, and they did. And it was only Kirk Cousins throwing an interception on a horrible throw. I mean, they were down there first and goal at the end of the game. And we saw him do it here at Allegiant Stadium. You know, it was the last year or the year before, Arash, right? Uh, uh, goes forward, yeah, fourth down from the 18, 18 yeah. yard line. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> this is, there's just no sense. I mean, TC, as we talked about it, when you're making big decisions or crucial calls, you look at the pros and the cons. Like, the pro is what? You got a first down at the, the back at the, your yeah. 20 yard line? Like, like, Yes, getting a first down is great, but like what the con is you give up the ball up and they basically have it in the red zone. It makes no sense. And the thing about it is we're seeing this with so many coaches now where coaches used to be ultra conservative. It would be fourth and a foot and even midfield. Oh, we're punting it away. Heck, we'd see that if they get down to the 35 or 38-yard line. Oh, yeah. okay, we're, we're going to pin them back. But now it just seems like you know fourth and four is like fourth and inches. You know, that's the way they, they yeah. treat it, which is ridiculous. And we're seeing, and most of this are the younger coaches. We don't see Andy Reid, you know, doing that. And some of the veteran coaches uh-huh. and even Mike Tomlin not doing that, but it's these younger coaches. And I don't know what it is. If they're getting some Gen Z, XYZ, whatever type of formula they think <laughs> that they're getting. I don't know from some MIT students. It's insane, but it just seems like they don't have the experience. That's my knock about hiring these head coaches that don't have. You know, life experience, number one, and also just game experience and being a leader of men. Okay. There's like, okay, they're the hot coordinator. So what? I mean, I don't know what's going on in these interviews, but you know, hiring these, these guys that are mid thirties, late thirties, early forties, even it's like, what experience do you have being leader of professional athletes? You have none. TC. I'm just sorry. The thing about Brandon Staley, the one thing that he proved during the course of his coaching career, he was a great defensive coordinator. The fact of the matter is, DC, he has one of the, if not the worst defense in the league. Yes. So then it's like, okay, what the heck are you bringing to the table then at that point? And that's what I was going to, that's what my other part, Marco, I was going to say to you about, you know, the, the Staley factor and then the Charger defense factor. And that's why I, I can't bet on this team. You can't. No. But the other problem is when you say the young coaches, all of the young coaches subscribe to the analytics model. Okay. But what the analytics model doesn't, where you have to have game sense is if you're in a game that's a high scoring game, nobody's stopping either team. Yeah. You've got to go because your best unit is the offense. But whenever it's a game at the end of the game, 
where it's a low scoring game, you don't take those chances. You punt the ball away because that's the flow of the game. And that's what Staley doesn't see. That's my problem with him. Back to the crowd factor, uh, Arash, and what we saw yesterday, you know, you know, 70% Steelers fans. I mean, that was unlike anything we've seen before. We've seen Kansas City invade this place. We've seen the Niners, uh, invade it last year at the end when, you know, they had something to play for and the Raiders really didn't. And then we've seen Denver. Okay. But even, you know, when Philly came or Washington came here, we saw, you know, huge amounts of visiting fans. I don't know about you. And I think you're a good, uh, a good judge on this or a good person to ask because you go to Rams and Chargers games, specifically the Charger games where, there is no home field advantage whatsoever because they're a transplant team and the people from San Diego for the most part are not coming, you know, to, um, to, to cheer on the Chargers. Has it gotten any better since they've moved to SoFi, since they've been a playoff team, or is it still pretty much the way it was in Carson as it is now? It's improved, but it's not where it needs to be. And I knew that with both of those teams, both of the Los Angeles teams, and I thought it would be a tougher battle for the Chargers, and it kind of has been. I mean, I am surprised with the Rams. I certainly thought that going to two Super Bowls and winning one and that one that they won was at SoFi. So I really thought the Rams would be further ahead than what they are. I mean, you go back to that first a home game of the season that they had a couple of weeks ago against San Francisco. It was a sea of red. Um, it, 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 it's going to take time. The problem with Vegas, and we talked about this, um, is uh, two parts. Number one, the prices for tickets. Not saying that fans here can't afford it, but generally speaking, when you're talking about cheapest ticket just to get your foot in the door is $500, you priced out the local fan, you priced out the hardcore fan who would love to come to the games. The other thing is, they've made it such a, listen, Vegas is Vegas. So it's, it's just, regardless, it's going to be a tourist destination. It's going to be where fans want to go. They've made it so convenient and so fun that if you're staying on the strip, if you're at the Luxor, if you're at Mandalay Bay, you cross over the bridge, there'll be these fans, the opposing fans, yes, sometimes they win, but they're having an amazing time here. So the, 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 problem is when something like this happens, you go to the team and you say, how do you fix this? So financially, this is a win for them. No, one's, no one on the team is hurting in terms of finances. Game was sold out. Parking was sold out. Food and beverage. Like, everything is doing fantastic. The problem is you have what you saw. And you touched on it, TC, their last three games. So last night, Pittsburgh, uh, preseason San Francisco, you go back to last season, last two games of a forgettable season, Chiefs and San Francisco. Their last few games at home, they've been overtaken by the, um, by the, uh, the, the other team. And it's going to continue, unfortunately, just really because of their schedule. The Packers, it's going to be the same way, but that's historically speaking. So they're playing against teams that travel well, New York, Jets, Giants, Minnesota. Those fans want to go to Vegas. Um, so I don't see that changing this season. And the other big thing, TC, as you know, is the team's not playing well. So if this trend continues, and you're talking about a below 500 team, there's not going to be this like big push for the um, home fans to be like, oh, yeah, like we got to come out and see this like 2-16. and 16. 
No, it, it's not getting better anytime soon. A remove from a Super Bowl appearance, it's not going to be uh, getting any better soon. Again, you can't compare it to the Golden Knights because, and we talked about this in the first hour, that you have 41 home dates. You got eight to yeah. nine home dates, and that's it. And these teams and these fans, they have this circle on the calendar going back to April, and they're going to make mm-hmm. their way in here, and they're going to find their their ticket. So it this is not going to get better any time soon and I know that it drives Mark Davis nuts and it drives those diehard fans that are true Raider fans that they can't even come to and have an, uh, be part of a home field advantage but you know what there's nothing that Mark can do about it there's nothing that these fans can do about it it's beyond your control it's 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 a it's a rampage system right now yeah by the way some people like want to knock the fans who are selling their tickets. I mean, and I talked to a few. There was one fan that I talked to who said this season, they will probably make up their entire season ticket price off of three games. Right. And so it's really not incumbent on the fans to to figure this out. And at the end of the day, so the fan I talked to, like the, the, the base price of their ticket is $225 per ticket. They're making sometimes $800, $1,000 for these games. I mean, who's going to say no to that? Here's the thing, too, and I'll compare this to Green Bay, and it's really not a comparison, but in Green Bay, as you know, they are, are a, there's a waiting list, okay, of, of like 100,000 people that are waiting to get tickets. And these fans will not sell their tickets. And believe it or not, Lambeau Field is a destination no different than Vegas. Because if you're, if you're a football fan, you want to experience. It's, it's a bucket list to go to Lambeau. But guess what? It's hard to get those tickets because the Green Bay Packer fans who own every seat in that stadium are not willing to give them up because they value that. They are true diehard fans. Those people that are, that are selling their tickets here at Allegiant Stadium, they're the casual Raider fan or it's a, they're a business investment. They're not the Oakland fans. Okay. Those fans can't afford the tickets. They can't afford the PSLs. It's, it's, it's sorry to say, but that is just the fact. But if you look at who has the season tickets here, it's mostly corporate. It's the casinos. It's the hotels. And they bought up a whole bunch of them and they don't care who they give these tickets to. Hey, they, they mm-hmm. want them to spend the money at the casino, go to the shows, go eat dinner. And Hey, we'll spiff you, you know, four tickets, uh, six tickets or whatever, because you're coming in from Kansas city or New York or San Francisco or whatever it, where it is. So it's just a whole different mindset. And that's why, because Vegas is Vegas. You know, it's a tour spot. It's a destination, not just for the football fan, but for the entertainment dollar. It's those fans. It's not going to get better anytime soon. And I just wonder at what point in time do you are a diehard Raider fan and you're scraping your money together to, to really go to these games and you're getting sick and tired of the people around you, but more importantly, you're getting sick and tired of the product not being very good. So that's the, that's the concern here. At some point in time, like, are you going to lose your fans? I mean, some of the fans I talk to, they're like, listen, I've supported this team for 20, 30, however long, and we've been priced out. The problem here, though, is no one is, from a financial perspective, they're all making money. The fans who are selling their tickets are making money. The team's making money, like, because all that. So, like, yeah. this is a concern to us or whatever, talking right now, but... The league's not concerned. For the most part, the team's not concerned. That's the problem. You got it. All right. Arash Mikazi joins us. Arash, before I let you go, I want to talk about your other LA team. They're in action tonight. 
Monday Night Football, the Rams and the Bengals. Looks like Joe Burrow is going to play. He's going to attempt to play. Uh, the Rams uh, making a long trip here. What are your thoughts, not only about this game, but what have you seen so far from the Rams? It's so interesting because coming into the season, I thought that the Rams you know, could struggle. Maybe at some point it would be smart for them to take to get their quarterback in the future. You know, we're right down the road at the Coliseum but with Caleb Williams. And they go to Seattle first game of the season, really do- dominate the Seahawks in the second half, win that game against San Francisco, who I believe is the best team in the league, had a lead in the first half, lose by one touchdown. This is another one of those games where, like, if they can find a way to win, I'm all of a sudden looking at this Rams team differently. Uh, so, you know, Joe Burrow's not hurt, and I, I don't know if this is the game that you want to push out a quarterback who's uh, not 100% healthy when you looked at what the Rams' defense, and again, I know it was a different team, but what Theron Donald did to him the last time that they played in the Super Bowl. So, you know, if, if he's not 100% and the Rams' defense gets pressure on him, it could be a long night. But peacekeeping, this is one of those games where we kind of, like, are not 100% sure about teams at the beginning of the season. This Rams team could go one of two ways. They could either not make the playoffs or Sean McVay can prove himself as a fantastic coach. And the story of this team offensively, without Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua, and Tutu Atwell, two of the best names in football, <laughs> having amazing seasons. I love it because you always nail all those names. I mean, you could say uh, two, you could say Tua's name like uh, three times real fast, and uh, I, I'm impressed. You know, I can't do it. I, <laughs> I love it. I didn't even attempt it. Arash Makazi, the Sporting Tribune, uh, tell everybody where they can find you and also what you got coming up in uh, the upcoming edition here, my friend. Uh, TheSportingTribune.com. we got a lot of great stories coming up. Uh, TC is quoted in my uh, story. I think I'm going to put it out tomorrow. Still working on a few things. Really about what, what we talked about, the opposing teams, how Vegas has turned into really the place to go to in the National Football League, which is great for the rest of the league, not so much great for the fans here in Las Vegas. But, yeah, we cover Southern California, Las Vegas, Hawaii. So a lot happening here. And as you talked about, TC, I'll be at the game tomorrow. Vegas, once again, Sports capital of the world. Las Vegas Aces two wins away from the WMB Finals. Canelo Charlo, big fight on Saturday. We'll have that covered. So all good stuff, my friend. Excellent stuff, my friend. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow night. Yes. All right. I will see you soon. You got it, brother. Appreciate it. Arash Mikazi does a fantastic job. Sporting tribune.com go check it out great stuff and again uh his history with the la times for many many years espn.com uh, as well too and uh he's got his thing going with the sportingtribune.com it's uh, it's great